G'day, g'day guys. Now before we dive into today's show, I want to let you know that some of you may be aware that over the past eight years, I have built a substantial multifamily real estate portfolio here in the US worth over half a billion dollars. And in that time, my passive investors have received fantastic double digit returns. And now you too can invest directly into my deals for as little as $50,000. So if you're an interested investor, head over to reedgoosens.com to find out more. That's reedgoosens.com. Now back into the show. Instead of guessing where to go, just ask where to go. And what I mean by that is in any business, like even my online education company, instead of us figuring out what our followers or our students want, we just ask them what they want. Right. And so with these, so like let's say that I'm I'm gonna go into you mentioned Denver, right? And we've looked at some deals in Denver. And what we'll do is we'll go and we'll talk to all the larger players in Denver, okay? And we might do some deals in Denver, but more what we're asking them is where do they want to go? Where do they want to be that they're not currently at? And they'll tell us the tertiary markets or the secondary markets outside that main metro that that they want to be in. And then that makes our lives easy. We just go and put together deals in those markets and bring them to the guys that told us they wanted to be there. Welcome to Investing in the US, a podcast for real estate investors, business owners, and aspiring entrepreneurs looking to break into the US market. Join Reid as he interviews go-getters, risk-takers, and the best in the business about their journey towards financial freedom and the sheer joy of creating something from nothing. G'day, g'day, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another cracking edition of Investing in the US podcast from Los Angeles. I'm your host, Reid Goosens. Good as always to have you with us on the show. Now, I'm glad that you've all tuned in to learn from my incredible guests, and each and every one of them are the cream of the crop here in the United States when it comes to real estate investing, business investing, and entrepreneurship. Each show, I try and tease out their incredible stories of how they have successfully created their businesses here in the US, how they've created financial freedom massive amounts of cash flow and ultimately create extraordinary lives for themselves and their families. Life by design, as I like to say. Hopefully, these guests will inspire all of my cracking listeners, which are you guys, to get off the couch and go and take massive amounts of action. If these guys can do it, so can you. Now, as you know, I'm all about sharing the knowledge with my loyal listeners, which is you guys, and there's absolutely no BS on this show, just straight into the nuts and bolts. Now, if you do like this show, the easiest way to give back is to give us a review on iTunes, and you can follow me on Facebook and Twitter by searching at Reed Goosens. You can find the show wherever you podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and Google Play, but you can also find these episodes up on my YouTube channel. So head over to reedgoosens.com, click on the video link, and it will take you to the video recordings of these podcasts where you can see my ugly mug, but the beautiful faces of my guests each and every week. All right, enough out of me. Let's get cracking and into today's show. Don't 
Today on the show, I have the pleasure of speaking with Cody Bugin. Now, Cody started his career as a following salesman, but motivated by his desire to provide for an extraordinary life for his family, he found a backdoor way into real estate development. And today, Cody is a key player in over 30 development projects, developing 2,300 lots from raw dirt to create over $920 million in revenue in residential sales in the last I think it's 20 years, he's, I think, in his, in his bio. Now he's a fully-fledged developer and he believes in offering others a hand in defining his part of his legacy. And that's what he started VestRite in 2019 to teach others the systems that got him into the game, a simple way to create a five to seven figure paydays from off-market land deals without owning or developing the dirt. I'm really excited and pumped to have him on the show today to share his incredible insight with me. But enough out of me, let's get him out here. G'day, Cody. Welcome to the show. How are you doing today, mate? What's up, buddy? Thanks for having me. Hey, man. My pleasure. And we're just jamming in the green room before we press record here. I am going to geek out on what we're going to get into today. And for all those listeners out there, we're going to talk a lot about entitlements. And my background's in structural engineering. You probably heard me talk a little bit about on this show if you've been listening for the last six or seven years. But before we do that, Cody, I need to ask you, rewind the clock and tell me how you made your first ever dollar as a kid. You know, so you mentioned you were going to ask me that question right before we went live. I, the first thing that goes to mind, comes to mind is when I get asked a similar question is when I started kind of my entrepreneurial uh, kind of venture or, or journey. And, and I take it back to, I was, gosh, I want to say I was probably 12 years old and I grew up in this small little town in Oregon. They didn't get a streetlight. I don't think until I was in high school, but town called Damascus. And they used to hold a little flea market down there on the weekends. Right. And, and, uh, I decided on the weekends to go buy a little booth at the flea market and I would buy and sell and trade sports cards. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I didn't even know what an entrepreneur was back then. Right. I mean, I didn't figure out what an entrepreneur was, I think until, you know, after I graduated high school, but, um, that's definitely where my journey started. 100% was back selling sports cards. And I still have all those cards today. So, uh, yeah. I'm, I'm sure your wife uh, loves it, right? Yeah, I mean, lugging, <laughs> yeah. lugging those stuff around. It's, it's, it's oh, definitely... she asked me why I keep them. And I'm like, I mean, it's a, it's, it's part of my journey. And the reality is why sell them, right? Like, right. It, yeah. Doesn't so. Gary V, didn't he have a background in selling cards or something like that? I think he did. Yeah, actually. Yeah, well, I know he's definitely not listening to this show, but if he ever does, we've got to get him on. Um, but mate, let's walk us through the journey. You're a flooring salesman and you got into real estate development. How the hell did that happen? Well, I will tell you that wasn't in part of the plan. What happened is uh, I love being transparent on these shows and just being mm -hmm. super vulnerable, right? Just authentic. Yep. And so I ended up in the flooring industry, let's just say, because I didn't go to college like I originally planned. And that's because mm -hmm. I got my high school girlfriend pregnant. So, ah. so right out of high school, I got married and went right into the flooring union so that I could qualify for health insurance so that I could pay for this baby that was on the way. Right. And, you know, one thing led to another. I was in that industry for about five years, uh, went from the union over to uh, a small mom pa shop, blew that up, had tremendous success, very thankful. And it was all because of my drive. Um, made lots of sacrifices though, which, which I, I won't do again. But what happened is being in that flooring industry, I was exposed to a lot of these real estate home builders, land developers, and, and they were my clients, became my friends. And, and I just had a desire um, for what they had. 
and, and what they were doing. And, and, uh, actually behind me, you'll see a clock and you'll see a picture. That was my mm -hmm. grandfather. He was a very large home builder, land developer. And, uh, he passed when I was 14, 15. So I, I didn't really get, get a lot of time with him, but I pull inspiration, um, knowing, um, that my grandfather was in this space and uh, that's actually his clock from being the president of the home builders association. But so what happened is, yeah, I was just around these guys and, and, and then a guy that was a big name guy in town got exposed to me and we just started chatting and one thing led to another and we just went for it. And we were both in real estate. You know, I was, I was in the contracting side as far as the flooring and, and he was a real estate agent at the time. And, we decided to team up and go start our land development home building business. And, and, uh, that was in 2002 and been wow. self-employed since that partnership only lasted a couple of years. We were extremely successful together, but, um, you know, I was 24 at the time and didn't really understand due diligence. And, and so, you know, you need to do due diligence on your partnerships, just like you do on your deals. And, mm. and he's still a friend of mine today. It's just, we weren't kind of equally yoked to have a successful partnership. So then I went out on my own completely in uh, January of 2005 and, and uh, have been going at it ever since. Yeah. I, I would love to talk to you about that. Maybe we'll get back into, into in that in a bit, you know, break up the partnerships because yeah. I'm actually going through one myself personally and then things yeah. happen, right? Like we, yeah. we just, we, we grow. But, but what I want to get into before we do that is you talk about real estate, you said land development. So yeah. let's break it down for the people who are listening to the show. What do you mean? What are you building? What are you developing? Yep. So I will say, let's, there's, let's, let's explain it this way. So single family residential, we all know that's an extremely hot market right now. Right. And also it's been my bread and butter and really the main, it's, it's been the backbone of our business ever since we started has always been single family and there's been good times and not so good times, but so in single family, what happens is, is that when you see the roads being put in or all the utilities, the infrastructure, the street lights, you see the ground being, you know, graded, you know, that whole part is called land development or horizontal construction. And in single family, the land development side is a different project than the vertical side or the home building side, because what happens is you go in and you do that land development and then you create platted lots, right? You create a bunch of individual legal lots or record or tax lots so that then a home builder can come in and build individual homes on those lots. Mm -hmm. We're like in a storage deal or a multifamily deal, the horizontal construction and the vertical construction are actually all one in the same project. And so, so they're all approved, it's all approved together, it's engineered together, as far as the structural engineering and the civil engineering, which is the horizontal, where in single family, the, the, the horizontal or the civil engineering, that portion of construction is a totally different project from the vertical side. So land development for us, when we go in, we majority of the time are, are developing single family projects. And I should say, as of the last few years, we haven't been developing any of them and I can get into why. And yeah. it's, and it's, it's lowered our risk and our exposure tremendously. And it's all because of the demand in the market today. Well, I want to get into probably a little bit of that because it's, it, it, relay, it relays back to where we are in the market cycle, right? A lot of people look at home starts and home building starts as, as, as a, 
a flag for the economy, right? Sure. So maybe give us a bit of, before we get into the, your niche of what you do, what are you seeing in terms of home starts and the, the, the quote unquote deficit that we have here in the United States to bring first time home or home building back up to where it was? Actually, you mentioned in the green room and for all the listeners out there, Ken McElroy, right? He was at uh, the, the, the Intelligent Investor Real Estate Conference over the weekend, which I was at. I happened to sponsor the event. And I saw his chart about single family home starts since, you know, over, over time. And, and you see the, 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 the curve going up around 2008 and then it drops. And then where we are today. And that graph is that we're not back to where we were. And I don't know if you've seen that graph, but that's the one he was showing. Yeah, and, yeah. and so I just wanted to comment on, on, on that type of stuff because it is a, a lot of people look at it. A lot of investors look at that. Well, what are new home, how many new homes are being started today? Yeah. No, a great question. Yeah. So, um, and yeah, I brought up Ken because him and I both live here in Scottsdale and we're just, we're personal friends. And we, so we talk about this stuff, but sure. that graph that Ken showed you, I'm assuming it's the graph that I'm thinking of. The reason we're not back to where we were is because you got to understand when we went through 07, 08, it destroyed the industry. Mm. It destroyed the industry. So it's, there's been a huge lull in starts during that downturn. And, and that's why we have the demand we do today because we're playing, we're trying to play catch up, right? And so, and right now there's not enough guys out there like me putting together off market raw land deals that have development potential and getting them an approved for development. And so what happened is there's much more pent up demand than there is supply. You know, are we on the risk of a downturn? Here's the reality, none of us know, none of us have the crystal ball. We're in uncharted territories with, with what's going on right now in our country and globally. You know, my best guess is I think COVID actually wiped out a downturn that we should have felt. I mm. think that this cycle is going to be longer than previous cycles. And, and I'm putting my money and my efforts where my mouth is. And what I mean by that is in your intro, we probably need to update our intro for, 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 for hosts. But, you know, I think it said I did like 2,300 lots. Just in December, we did like, we, we put together like 1,200 lots. Okay. And so, um, but we're also, you know, for the first 20 years of my career, I'll call it my warm-up or, 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 or my practice because we're in 2021, my biggest takeaway in 2020 is that I needed to get out of the way of my company, that I needed to get a CEO, I needed to get a, an executive leader in there because I was holding the company back that my identity and the company's identity were one and the same. And I was killing my company because of it. And so I brought in a CEO out of Dallas, Texas, February of 21. And um, now all of our team is in 21 or in, in, in Dallas, Texas. Uh, we're bigger than we ever have been and we're going for it. So we're scaling where originally first 20 years, I was just Pacific Northwest where I was born and raised um, moved to Scottsdale a year and a half ago. But at the end of the day, what I'm, my point is right now we're scaling across the country. So we're doing deals all over the country, uh, obviously being specific on where in the country. And it's pretty easy to figure out where to do deals. There's more migration happening in our country more than ever. Mm -hmm. And, um, but we're going hard and we're, we're going to go hard, really hard. Our, our, our initial short-term vision is we're going to scale um, as much as we can between now and, 2000, and 2025. Um, and then obviously we'll reevaluate that along the way, but 
you know, just with the amount of demand and, and all that's going on, we think strike while the iron's hot. We, we, we believe the iron is really hot. So you're saying that for those people listening out there taking notes, there, there is a lag, right, from 2008. We're trying to catch up. Can we catch up is probably the better question. Yeah. Is it- um, I mean, I, I would think – I would think at some point, yes, because here's what happens is you go through the lull and that was a major lull and it wiped out everybody. And, you know, and it's why we even have, you know, we have a, we have challenges with labor. I mean, there's, there's many reasons why we have challenge with labor right now, but so many people got out of the trades in that downturn and never came back. Hmm. Um, So many guys got out of entitlement work or land acquisition like I do and never came back. I mean, that was a hard time. I went through it. I had friends that committed suicide. I had wow. friends that went through major, major depression. Numerous friends of mine went bankrupt. Thank the Lord I didn't, right? It's, and there's reasons why I didn't. I very easily could have. But, and, and so when all that happens and then, and then the economy starts turning around, it, the economy had to like have several good years before anybody was even going to consider playing this game again. Right. right? And that's created this huge lag. And now we're trying to catch up and it's created this amazing, here's the reality. I have guys lining up around the building to buy my deals. Like I have an easier time right now selling my deals than I ever have in my career. Mm. And it's very simple. It's because of demand. And so, you know, will it catch up? I would think eventually it would have to. When I don't know, um, we're we're just right now we're we're seeing through twenty five that we think the demand is going to be there. And you think the average because in my space in the in multifamily it's very hot as well because you were under the impression that um, we're in a renters the US will be a, in a renters state right um, and you know I think again back to Ken. For every, I think he showed another graph of you know, back in the day, 68% of how people, 68% of the population had owned a home. And that's now dwindled down to 63 or 64%. Don't quote me on that. For every 1% you change, you need another million houses in rental stock across the country. And his impression was that we're going to go to 60. So mm-hmm. 60%. So which is, we, you know, but, but then you have this, your side of the coin. Again, me as a multifamily owner, fantastic. That means I'm going to be able to keep rents high. You as the provider of dirt, do you think that we can even catch up with that? Do we come back to the, the American dream of, of owning a home or, or, or is that becoming harder and harder as well? I think there's more that feeds that graph than just supply and demand. Sure. I think it's, sure. you know, it's demographics are changing within our country. And so, no, I, I don't, I mean, I'm just guessing on this. I'm just going mm. off my oh, yeah, We're just riffing here. It's, it's but, good. um, you know, I don't, I, do I see us getting back up to where we were in 06, 07? I don't be just because of the demographic change. I think, I think people might want the lifestyle of home ownership as far as a fenced backyard and a dog and, and a yard, but they don't want the responsibility of home ownership. And so mm-hmm. That's why I think you see so much build the rent right now as far as single family, where I have all these build the rent guys or build for rent, whatever you want to call it. They're hitting me up trying to compete with my large clients, publicly traded companies, private companies calling me saying they want to buy my neighborhoods 
and they want to turn the whole thing into, you know, a rental community. And that's because they're feeding that demographic, right? People, right. They, they want the lifestyle of homeownership without so the responsibility. Well, let's now pivot into what you do because this is something that I hold dear, near and dear to my heart. It's something that a lot of people don't talk about, and that is entitlements. And, and now you, you made a comment earlier about you know horizontal versus vertical, yeah. and I would argue that at least in my experience, coming through development myself, working for a developer here in, Long, uh, in Los Angeles, building a lot of stuff, there are people who do just take it to entitlements and sell the dirt, whether it be multifamily or office or whatever you pick, the asset class you pick, you've done the hard work. So maybe let's break it down for those people. When you say entitlements, what are you, what are you saying? What's your superpower? Yeah. So let me, I'll explain to you. So I've done all the way from all of our deals for 20 years, at least majority of them have been off market. So we specialize in off market going and finding the raw land that has development potential, yep. doing the entitlements, which we'll talk about doing the horizontal development and even doing the vertical construction of building houses. Sure. We've done all of that over our career. Then we got out of home building and we just started developing and selling finished lots to other builders. As of the last several years, we haven't even, last few years, we haven't even been doing the, the land development, the horizontal development. We've been exiting our deals at entitlements or at approvals or call it governmental approvals, right? They're, they're approving that piece of land for development. And I think mm -hmm. that's where people get so confused is they, they see a piece of raw land and there's neighborhoods all around it and they think, oh, you can just go in and start building houses there. And it just doesn't work that way. Right. A property can be zoned for development, zoned for say a residential neighborhood, but you still have to go through a political approval process to mm -hmm. get it actually approved. And until you get it approved, all you have is a piece of raw land, farmland, ag land, whatever it is. It's nothing more than what you see there. And that's where guys get themselves in trouble because they'll go in and they'll buy this raw land without any approvals in place, pay a premium for it based upon its, you know, being developable. And then for whatever reason, they can't get it approved for development because there might be issues with the land. We get into all the details there. But sure. if there's one thing I could say to your, your listeners is, if you're going to get involved in my space, which is raw land that has development potential, you never close on that land without those approvals in place ever. Okay. The only way you ever close on that land without those approvals in place is if you're buying it at as is value. And we do that. We have a division. It's, it's our land bank division where we'll go in and buy land at as is value and close on it just like a normal transaction, 30, 60 days, whatever. But you got to understand just for illustration purposes, we might be buying that land for 20 grand an acre, let's just say in, in certain areas of the country. Uh, if, if say I didn't have to close on that land until the development was approved, I might pay 200 grand an acre, like mm. 10X. Right. And so there's a, the, there's a play there either way, but people get themselves in trouble when they pay the 200 grand an acre, but they close it like yes. a normal transaction. Yes. So, Entitlements, the easiest way to explain entitlements, it's just the governmental approval process you have to go through to get whatever the development is that you're trying to design to get it approved bef way before it's ever built. And I don't care if it's, it's called the land use process. So I don't care if it's multifamily, single family, retail, storage, I don't care what it is, you have to go through that land use approval process. Right. 
And, and for those listeners out there, there is each municipality will have its own zoning maps and you need to understand what those zoning maps are in order to back in to say, you know, Cody can say, hey, I'm going to go build a thousand lots on this property or I'm going to go build a hundred multifamily units because it's a high density type of scenario. Yep. Uh, Cody, are you doing any rezoning to take it from, yeah. a, from, 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 a, from, we'll call it ag farming to, you know, more of a resi, a resi spec? All the time. Um, because that, because that, that, that in itself and knowing entitlements, that is quite high risk. Like here in LA, I've done a lot of um, buy right. So, the the you know, examples that a lot of people use is I'm buying a, I don't know ten thousand square foot lot here in Los Angeles. It's it's high density. It might only have three units on it, but I can buy right build twenty units on it. Right. Yeah. So I'm not changing the use of the land. I'm just going up to what I can build to maximum wise. So you're you are saying you do go and do rezoning, which means in my case I might buy a commercial lot. You know the C, C, C tag in front of it for those people keeping up ten thousand square feet, and I need to change it to a residential use. That's a rezoning. I'm taking from one classification to another, and that can add a lot of complexity along the way. So, how are you dealing with that, Cody? Because even even in the um, the entitlement space, guys that I know who do it here try and steer clear of that that rezoning process, but based on the political crap that goes on here in Los Angeles. Yeah. For those of you who are interested in staying up to date with all the latest happenings in my business, or to learn more about passively investing directly into my multifamily value-add deals, then head over to reedgoosens.com and sign up for my monthly newsletter. By signing up, you'll automatically be notified about my new up-and-coming investment opportunities. You'll be able to stay up to date with all the latest real estate news here in the United States and much, much more. So head over to reedgoosens.com and sign up today. Now, back into the show. Well, the key thing there is Los Angeles. Um, <laughs> so, yes, we do rezoning all the time, but I mean, I'll just tell you straight up, and I'm not trying to put down your state. Um, it's a beautiful place. I just got back from playing golf at Pebble Beach not in nice. Monterey. So, I, I love California as far as the, some of the beautiful areas, but I have zero desire to, to do what I do in California. We, we don't even look at deals in California. So rezoning is much easier in other areas of the country, um, much easier. So uh, it's actually, I mean, I can't even tell you how many times we've got a property rezone. It's endless times. And, but obviously we don't go into any deal planning to rezone it unless we know we have 100% jurisdictional support up front. Like if it's going to be a battle, we, we, we pick our battles, man. If the jurisdiction isn't excited about some rezone I want to do, I won't even do the deal. Right. And, and I'll just I'll add in there something as being an Australian coming to the United States, there is a lot of, and I, I'm using a blank, I've, I've developed in New York, Philly, LA, Austin, um, a little bit in Denver. There's a lot of, there's actually really, really good municipality information that you can walk in to most places and say, hey, I want to, I'm thinking of doing this with this piece of dirt. What do you think to a planner? And the planner can give you pretty much, you know, as you're just alluding to, a pretty good sense of like whether this is going to get support or not. And, and I think you can find out pretty quickly if that kills the deal or not, right? Is, is that what 100%. I'm, you know, I'm sort of hearing? Yeah. Before we even send out a, like a, a contract on a deal, 
we've already had numerous conversations with the jurisdiction, any utility companies needed. Uh, we might even have talked to the city manager, right? Mm-hmm. We might have, in some cases, we've already talked to the mayor. Right. Uh, and so we get very involved with the jurisdiction way up front because you got to understand a big part of what we do is we're very legacy focused company. And what I mean by that is we're a part of these property owners legacy. You know, a lot of these property owners, this property is the biggest asset they have. Right. Sure. And last thing I want to do is get into a deal, get a property all excited and just to let them down. Right. And mm. so it's all about expectations and, um, and so we try to be very heavy, uh, in our upfront underwriting. Um, and Gary, again, and we're not looking to waste our time either, right? Like why start a due diligence, pro- like in depth due diligence process on a deal without doing some upfront research. So sure. you're absolutely right. Usually most jurisdictions will have a planner or what they call a planner on duty. And so it's someone you can really pick up the phone and call or go in and see, and they're going to give you some insights into, you know, whatever piece it is you're looking at. And, and this, again, adds just probably my, my jadedness of, of developing in, in coastal cities. But, like, how do you get so ingrained with a local municipality to be able to pick up the phone to the mayor? Because my experience is that that takes years to develop that relationship. I, you know, Joe Blow, I, well, you, you're, you said you're in Phoenix. You may not be able to walk into downtown Miami and just be like, I'm going to go build there. Like, you need to know the right players in the yeah. city council to get your things approved. So the question is, are you going to sort of secondary and tertiary markets that you know that's just a little easier process rather than those bigger markets that you know, will have red tape and you know bureaucracy and all that other stuff? Yeah, yeah. So here again, it depends on the area in the country. I mean, you, you compare Texas to California and it's like apples and oranges. Right. And so you know, our headquarters, like I said, is in Dallas. Um, but from day one in 02, we've always been focused on, on kind of secondary markets or tertiary markets. And a lot of those jurisdictions, they're just easier to deal with. They're more down to earth. They're more open book. And I, you know, most a lot of my career was up in the Pacific Northwest, which is on the West coast, much like yourself or the left coast. And, um, and I'm not looking to get political here. We'll, we'll, we'll do deals anywhere. But my point is like all the, the bureaucracy and the red tape and the hoops I got to jump through and the political, you know, nightmares that I had over on the West coast, I'm doing deals now say in like Texas or, or, you know, Alabama or Georgia, Tennessee, North Carolina, Arizona, like some of the jurisdictions it's been so refreshing because they're actually thanking us for coming mm-hmm. to their city and it being a part of helping their city grow. And they see us as, as a tremendous value where in LA it, you, you're, you're not seen that line. way at all. <laughs> Get in the back of the line as they say. Yeah. So yeah. Um, well, the, with, let's, let's that segue into my next question, which is how are you identifying these cities, like these municipalities to go and do, you know, you'd have to have some numbers in terms of growth, in terms of population. Um, what, what are you looking at? Yeah. So good question. So like our CEO is a um, very educated, very intelligent individual. We're in the process of hiring a CFO as well. Um, we're kind of still fine tuning our, our economical criteria for a jurisdiction. And, 
and it just hasn't been a high enough priority for us. And I'll, and I'll just tell you why it's very simple. Basically we have three things we, we, we look at right now. One is it's very easy to go and Google and figure out where the migration is happening in the country. Okay. Here again, I'm not looking to be political. You can go do what we do in any state in the country, but we are mainly in red states, right? So Texas, you know, Arizona, Florida, Tennessee, we're just, those are the states we're in, right? The Carolinas, Georgia, Alabama, you know, it, it's just, it's because yep. where people are moving, it's the migration. Like it's made mm-hmm. my job so much easier. The second thing we look at is because we do at this stage in our career, we're mainly doing bigger deals. And so I, if there's not at least three publicly traded home builders in that market for our company and the size we're playing at, we're not interested in being in that market. And so uh, if they're there, we're interested in being there. Here's the reality. They have departments. All they do is study this stuff. And so Mm -hmm. I just kind of follow their lead. Uh, But the third, and I think the most important uh, thing we do, and we've all, I think a lot of us have heard this, like quit, instead of guessing where to go, just ask where to go. And what I mean by that is in any business, like even my online education company, instead of us figuring out what our followers or our students want, we just ask them what they want, right? And so with these, so like, let's say that I'm, I'm gonna go into, you mentioned Denver, right? And we've looked at some deals in Denver and what we'll do is we'll go and we'll talk to all the larger players in Denver. Okay. And we might do some deals in Denver, but more what we're asking them is where do they want to go? Where do they want to be that they're not currently at? And they'll tell us the tertiary markets or the secondary markets outside that main Metro that that they want to be in. And then that makes our lives easy. We just go and, put together deals in those markets and bring them to the guys that told us they wanted to be there. But surely you'd also be looking at it a little bit more granular as well. Once you know, identify those areas, you want to be looking at freeways and access to freeways and, and, and horizontals and all that sort of stuff, because that can add value. Like you could go get a 30 acre property in the middle of nowhere in Denver. And if it's not close to a highway, no, one, no one's coming. Sure. So, so, so there would be a, probably a micro, analysis that goes on once you've been hey been pointed in a direction i want to be in this area hey cody yeah. and team go nuts in that yeah. area right yeah yeah i mean obviously and it, and we might be willing to do the deal that's close to the freeway the deal that's that's you know 10 miles off the freeway it's just understanding the pricing's different mm. but you know right now with people and covid and all that's gone down over the last few years and and people working virtually the, the, the deal that's 10 miles off the freeway is much more desirable than it used to be. Right. Right. And so we'll probably do both those deals. They're just right. price different. Sure. Uh, but yeah, we're always looking at access, you know, like just five basic things when we're looking at raw land for development potentials, you know, we're looking at the access, how, to, you know, how, how, how far is it from, from main thoroughways, but also, does it even have access? Does it have a public right of way, right? A, a road, a public road to even be able to feed the piece. We're looking at, you know, the zoning obviously, or what the comprehensive plan shows they want that piece zoned. We're looking at utilities. Are public utilities available to the property, right? I can't do much with it if there's not public sewer, right? And so 
And then we're looking at topography. What's the topography of the land? That affects values of the land, cost of construction. It inf- can, can your utilities even gravity flow? You know, or do you need pump stations? So we look at utilities. We look at overlays, pieces having, you know, floodplain overlays, wetland overlays, steep slope overlays, you know, and, and so we're looking at all these things as just very basic. We have that figured out within 10 minutes, right? Mm-hmm. And, and then if it doesn't meet this very basic criteria, then we'll, we'll more than likely move on. But, but I mean, man, we have 10 people cold calling full time. So, or not 10, five people cold calling full time. Plus they're not endless mailers, students bringing us deals. So, I mean, you know, we're looking at, oh, gosh, what did, what did my CEO tell me just on Monday? I think we're looking at like eight to 10 new deals a day. Wow. That's incredible. Yeah. So you'd have to get your processes right. So you can do that 10, 15, 20 minute analysis to be like, yay or nay, because you, you just- 100%. Too much yeah, yeah. 100%. Awesome stuff. Well, mate, look, I'm, I'm coming to the end of the show. Um, what have you got planned for, for 2022 and beyond in terms of volume now and, and, and both both personally and, and, and professionally where the business is going? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'll go personally, because I like to talk about personal a lot. You know, I am, uh, I decided in 22, I'm in a transition point in my career because, you know, my business is running without me. And mm-hmm. so I'm really, um, I'm in a search process right now. Right. And I'm just, I'm kind of enjoying, I'm going through kind of the surrender being, you know, kind of, um, still, you know, mm-hmm. being silent and just, really figuring out there's a book out there called halftime. And I'm, in, I'm kind of in this halftime stage where it's what's next. Um, I know a big thing for me is PIF, my, which is kind of my saying is purpose, impact, fulfillment. And so that's where Vest writes just a ton of fun because we're impacting people's lives. But as far as the business, you know, the business, um, you know, right now we're, you know, 10 times bigger than we've ever been. And, and you're not uh, involved. <laughs> what was that? And you're not involved, right? Like, you're yeah, not, you're yeah, not, and, that's, yeah. and that's why, that's why we're <laughs> 10 times bigger. Um, so I'm just the founder visionary at this point. I shouldn't say mm-hmm. just, but, um, you know, I'm a dirt guy with a vision and, um, you know, remember we exit all of our deals and entitlements. And so our, our dollars per deal aren't near as high as if we were taking these things through finished lots, you know, or building the houses. But, you know, we, we plan on putting together 5,000 lots in 22 and in 23, you know, probably 7,500 to 10,000. And, you know, it's, it's a very humbling, exciting time because, you know, our margins exiting at entitlements are pretty phenomenal. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, we actually started Allied Land Fund. So now, you know, in September, it fully subscribed in three and a half hours. We started in September um, but now we're allowing other people to invest in our business and um, we're getting ready to launch fund two here in a couple months, but it's just really exciting times. And, and, uh, but luck, you know, if the market does turn, we don't have exposure because we don't own the land. We're not in the middle of developing it. Right. And entitlements, the capital requirements to entitle is minuscule compared to if you're actually going to develop. And, and, and what happens is our buyers put up enough non-refundable earnest money that it covers all our capital we put out to get the deals approved. And so we're just, we're just excited about the position we're in. That's awesome. That's awesome. And well, I, I congratulate you to get to, to that point in your career where you can step away from the business. I think there could be a whole podcast on just talking about partnerships and how you 
let go of the vine as they talk about in traction. But at the end of every show, we do like to jump into the top five investing tips. You ready to get into it? Sure. Mate, what, name the daily habit that you practice to keep on track towards your goals. Well, I have nine of them, but I would okay. say the not I'll, I'll say the one I have to do every day. Well, I got to do them all every day, but it's a habit stack. So I go on a, about an hour, hour and a half walk every day. And during that walk, I'll listen to a book, I'll pray, and I'll listen to the Bible. And so hmm. I knock out four daily habits while I'm walking, walking being one of them. Awesome. Awesome. Question number two has been, who's the most influential person in your career to date? You know, that's been a tough one. Uh, I've been asked that many times and I have to tell you that that's one area in my career that I've fallen short that I, I, I don't, I never really found a mentor early on, but if I was to say anybody, it would be a, a gentleman by the t- name of Tim Aldinger. And that was clear back in my flooring days. He, um, he opened the floodgates for me as far as opportunity and letting me go get it. He didn't hold me back and it really set the tone for my career. So it'd definitely be Tim Aldinger. Love it. Love it. Question number three is what's the most influential tool in your business? And when I say tool, it could be a phone or a journal. So it could be physical or it could be a piece of software that you just can't run the business without. What is it? Well, for me personally, as far as, I, I journal every day. First thing I do when I get up in the morning is I journal and I go over gratitude, what I'm excited about, words of affirmation, what I'm focused on, how I'm going to get exercise, what's my goal, how I want to feel that day, um, uh, my goals for the day. So I do all that. Um, so the journal is definitely the most powerful thing for me. In our company, uh, we, we geek out on smart sheets. So we have a lot, our mm-hmm. company is built out on smart sheets. And it's just been a very powerful tool for our company. And for those people who don't know Smartsheets, it's, it is more geared probably to, I learned about Smartsheets in my development career back when I was working at W2. So it's not as prevalent compared to like Asana's of the world or Slack's, but it's a different, it, it sort of has a bit more of a scheduling tool in there as well, which is pretty, pretty, pretty slick. Um, so definitely check that out. Uh, fourth question is in one sentence, what has been the biggest failure in your career? What did you learn from that failure? Um, biggest failure in my career, um, would have been in 2007 when I got whooped on, I lost 90% of my net worth. Um, let's see, I was, uh, 20, I was 29, I guess. Um, and I, you know, I went from being an eight figure guy to being a low seven figure guy as far as net worth. And what happened is during that time, what we all got to realize and why a downturn doesn't scare me is because of just some wisdom I've gained a little bit. I got a tiny bit of wisdom is when the market turns is when the opportunity gets super exciting. Like we're all making a lot of money right now, you know, and if you're not, you're definitely doing something wrong. Um, This isn't where real wealth is built. Real wealth is built in a downturn. And the biggest mistake I made last downturn is I was so focused on survival and staying above water that I, what I didn't even know better. No, no one ever gave me the advice of going and as I'm surviving, also being pursuing all the opportunity that's out there. And so um, that, that was a huge miss on my side. I don't believe in regrets, but I'll make sure to not make this, that mistake the next downturn. Awesome. Awesome, mate. Well, look, final question is where can people reach you to continue the conversation? They want to be in your sphere. Where do they go? 
Well, I would tell you two things. One is if you want to learn more about what I do, um, go to vestrite.com, V-E-S-T-R-I-G-H-T.com slash Cody, just my first name, C-O-D-Y. If you just want to follow, you want to follow me and catch more of my content, you know, we post numerous times a week and just be a part of the journey together. Just check me out on Facebook, um, just at Cody Bugan. And, um, you know, we're on there actively, um, you know, on a consistent basis every few days, if, if not more, um, putting out content. Awesome stuff, man. Well, look, I want to thank you so much for jumping on the show today. I just want to reflect some of the things that I took away from today's show. I think your analysis and depth in an industry which is not talked about, entitlements is really valuable. That's how we get to be living in the houses we live in today and the multifamily units that we rent. Every town is built on development, town planning. Every MSA has one. It's like, and if you can master entitlements, you do hold the keys to the kingdom. And I do like your strategy of not actually taking on the risk of going to development because I'm sure you're, you have itchy feet at times that you want to. It looks juicy, but you know where your lane is and that's really important. I think that's, um, yeah, that, that's just such an, an important piece for every business to just understand what their lane is and be really, really good at that. And you're in a business that not a lot of people want to deal with that crap right? From LA to Los Angeles, from New York to LA to, you know, somewhere in Alabama, it still takes time. It still takes effort. It still takes a skill set. So, um, so yeah, did I leave anything out? No, no, it sounds good. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, you just got to remember whoever controls the dirt controls the deal. And, Mm -hmm. And I think all of us, in my opinion, need to have two sources of, of income. One is where you go and generate a bunch of ordinary income, right? that then you capitalize your cash flowing income, right? Because if you're just trying to grow cash flow on its own, um, you can't scale nearly as quickly as a guy like me that is generating capital here to then inject into cash flowing or cash on cash models. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and so I really think it's important that you have both. Yep, I have percent And for those people who've listened to the show long enough, pyramid of food, like the deals at the top is development entitlements. It can be risky from the outside point of view, but Risk is also about knowledge, right? So if you have a lot of knowledge in an area and you know how to develop, you know how to entitle, go out and do that. But also building a foundation of cash flow is really important when you're getting started. So again, like the food triangle, good stuff's on the bottom, the, the, the tasty stuff's on the top that you're not supposed to eat a lot of. But if you have a really good bench and you've got a good knowledge set in that space, you're going to go out and crush it and, and make incredible amounts of wealth like like Cody has. So, mate, again, thank you so much for jumping on the show. Enjoy the rest of your week. People can catch you at investright.com forward slash Cody. But thanks again, my friend, and we'll catch up very, very soon. Thanks for having me. Awesome stuff. Well, there you have another cracking episode jam-packed with some incredible advice from Cody. Remember to go over to his website at investright.com forward slash Cody. Follow him also on Facebook at Cody Bugan. Uh, the Bugan is spelled B. J J U G A N Bugan. So so got it in there. Uh, again, I want to thank you all for taking some time out of your day to continue to grow your financial IQ because that's what we're all about here on this show. If you do like the show, give the show a five-star review on our iTunes and we're going to do it all again next week. So remember, be bold, be brave, and go give life a crack. <laughs>